Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mountain Bikes Apart podcast. This is the show about everything mountain biking from equipment to trail guides and everything in between. I'm Colin Gray and as always joined by Tom Bell. How are you doing Tom? Hi Colin, yeah good to speak to you. Yeah you too, it feels like it's been a while. Yeah it has, uh, <laughs> it has. I think we uh, I think we spoke uh, last episode of the podcast was about a month ago yeah. so uh time for a, a bit of a catch-up and uh, talk about mountain bikes yes and apologies to everyone out there if you've been waiting for this episode uh hope to get back into a regular uh schedule for the summer season actually we might come up with another um themed season coming up soon but the next two episodes i think will be uh a catch-up just between tom and myself maybe plans for this year what's been happening the start of this year and a couple of listener questions we've got some good stuff actually in from a few different listeners so looking forward to covering them as well um, let's start with what you've been up to, Tom. What's been happening in the last week? Well, here you've been off to a race in uh, in Portugal, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So the first first race of the season was a, a UCI ranked stage race in uh, in the Algarve, mm-hmm. um, based around a town called Tavira, um, basically on that Algarve strip. And uh, yeah, it was a sort of three day stage race um, where the first day was a kind of uh, city center time trial so short you know it took us about five five or six minutes to uh to haul round, and then um there was two two longer days of i believe it was 90 kilometers the the second day and right. 75 kilometers the third day yeah yeah okay how so how does that tie into your main that's is that just really a training event for you then yeah, it's it's a little more of a training event. Obviously, the the usual races that I do are about one and a half hours, you know, pure yeah. sort of Olympic distance, Olympic level cross country. Where this is still classed in the cross country discipline, you oh, still right. get okay. um, world ranking points for uh, the for the right. cross country side of things. Yeah, yeah, but they they do it. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit more like a marathon, which is yeah. uh, which is a bit interesting with the longer stages. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's more, I still went there trying to get, you know, the, the world ranking points and get a good result. But yeah. like you said, Colin, it's a bit more of a training race than a, than a regular cross country cool. one and a half hour race. Yeah. But you still get points. I, I kind of assumed there when you said it's like around a town center and stuff like that, it wouldn't be counted as a, a cross country race. So you wouldn't be getting rankings. So that's quite good. At least you get, uh, is that, is that something that is it a UCI event you said? It was, yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a world ranked race. There was some, you know, really, really top class riders there. The guy, there's actually a um, discipline called Sprint Eliminator, which is kind of a. They did it in the World Cups for a few years, and they're bringing it back now. And the, essentially, it's a short court. You know, you, you do multiple heats um, okay. that lead to a final, and it's usually you know a couple of minutes sort of sprint round a condensed cross country course. Uh, okay. Um, right. And the world, world, the current world champion was there, and so obviously <laughs> they were. <laughs> he was going around pretty fast with his yeah. uh, his partner. Um, so yeah, that, that was the kind of, essentially for this stage race, it's more of a sort of spectacle for the, for the local yeah. town and the fans to be able to get close to the athletes. And, yeah. uh, yeah. there was a big crowd all the way around the town. It was really sort of narrow cobbled streets. Yeah. It was, and it was at night as well, actually. So we all, <laughs> we all had lights on and it was a, it was a pretty nice show. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. How does the eliminator aspect of it work then? Well, this is this one was obviously just just the first stage. It was one sort of loop, and then they take your time, which then dictates the start order for the for the second day. Uh-huh, okay. So, yep. but but usually it's it's a it's sort of modelled on the sprint eliminator thing, which in the World Cups it's 
you kind of have a big load of athletes. They they split into heats, and then the top two go through, you know, to the quarterfinals, semifinals, etc., up to the finals. Yeah, yeah. So okay. uh, yes, it, it's 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 essentially trying to sort of condense it, make it better for spectators. And um, yeah. with the World Cups and Red Bull filming it, it's obviously quite easy to to film with it being a, sh- a shorter course. Yeah, yeah. So it's a team thing. You're actually racing as a, a partnership. Yeah, the, again, the sprint eliminator thing that it's kind of modelled on is just an individual thing. But this this Algarve uh, bike challenge race that we did was a pairs, so yeah. we did. So I raced around with um, with a partner. Yeah, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that was quite that's quite interesting. Sometimes <laughs> when you're not, we were quite evenly. We we did a I think we did a good job of sort of um, combining our efforts and strengths and weaknesses. Uh, we've raced together before. Right, um, my partner is okay. actually the current national champion in marathon discipline. Right. Um, yeah. a guy called Ben. Um, so yeah, we, we had a good, uh, we had a good opening stage actually. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is interesting, isn't it? Like when you race with, I've not done an actual official partnership race before, but I've raced with people. Uh, well, I say race. I mean, I use the, the word race loosely, just complete, the, <laughs> help each other complete the whole thing. Um, yeah. But how, so if you're in a race where you're actually really competing, you're trying to win the thing, how do you uh, sort of assess those strengths and weaknesses and stuff? Like what, what were your balance? Like, did you help each other out with stuff? Yeah, so it's a essentially that when the results come out, you you both get you know you both get the same position kind of mm-hmm, thing. So mm-hmm. you you get the same amount of points and everything. So you have yeah. to kind of finish together, etc. But yes. yeah, it's just um, I think obviously it's good to know what the strengths and weaknesses are before you come to the race, rather yeah. than kind of finding that out in the uh, in the actual event. Yes. But yeah. um, for us, for us typically, I'm. Uh, a lighter weight rider so generally better on the sort of um climbs longer mm-hmm. climbs especially and ben is uh, a marathon specialist so mm-hmm. his his um he's really you know just consistently fast over a long period of time and his mm-hmm. um his downhill speed is good as well so it's um yeah you've just got to be essentially it's all about good communication and just making sure that everyone's that the other person's okay and not you know you're not di- distancing each other um yeah. via those strengths and weaknesses so for example you you're quicker up a long sustained hill then what do you do to is there something you can do to help him there like are you doing drafting or anything like that in this kind of race are you going fast enough for that yeah exactly there's some there's some times where um it, the race would pop out i mean generally it was all off-road but uh-huh. um there the were sections where it will pop out onto a road for you know a, a three or four or five minutes and that's when you can start sort of uh, drafting and um and using and and just setting up so you put this sort of you might put actually the weakest person on the front to yeah. make sure that the the other person's not um going you know going too hard and dropping oh, okay. them and that kind of thing right. um yeah i should point out here actually that uh, I I got ill basically a bit just before the race, so right. it turned out that I wasn't actually that strong on the climbs in that in that race. I just wasn't strong in general, um, <laughs> so uh, th- those team dynamics went were a little bit different. Um, <laughs> so what you're saying is were. Ben dragged you around the trail for the whole time. Ben right? Ben, <laughs> ben dragged me around and waited for me a lot um, in the in the final sort of 
uh, half an hour of each of the two longer really? stages because I just yeah. spectacularly blew up and uh, yeah, not pretty. It happens, eh? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. And I, you know, Ben was saying to me, I, you know, I, you feel quite bad when it's a partner's race and you're the one sort yeah. of yeah. being the anchor kind of thing. But you know, Ben said he's you know he's been in the same situation on the other side of the fence yeah. and uh, happens to everyone. It happens to a quite better. a few of the. Yeah, and it happened to quite a few of the um, the top runners, you know, the, some of the other guys that were going for the overall as well. So yeah. um, it's that time of year, and especially when you're sort of traveling internationally and taking flights and all this sort of stuff, there's quite yeah. a lot of potential for getting ill. Yeah, yeah. Do you find it more, is there, there's obviously a different dynamic. Do you find it more fun doing a partner race or do you just enjoy the solo stuff more? Um, I, I would say I don't really enjoy one more than the other. They're, they're, they're definitely different and it's, it's a nice way to start the season actually, mm-hmm. because obviously you, you kind of share in the, um, in the triumphs or lack of triumphs. Um, and it, it's just something different that you're not, you, I'm not typically used to throughout the season. So yeah. I do, I do enjoy it. Um, and it's good once you're there at the race sort of, before the race and after the race warming up together and talking about the race so there's definitely dynamics and parts of it that are that are really really good yeah yeah i i find it kind of funny actually doing stuff with people doing races with people or even training with people like quite a, a lot of people i know including my wife actually goes out with you know partners running just to train yeah. and stuff like they meet up as a group and i know there's uh there's actually a really good cycling club in my uh in my village it's um it's kind of dundee based but in my wee village there's a, a club called cog velo go out all the time and they go out cool. for rides with like 15 20 people and yeah uh, they do running clubs as well but i have to admit i i don't know i i'm i can motivate myself enough i think by myself that i just quite mm-hmm. enjoy the peace and quiet and i don't really like the pressure to have to sort of uh talk to people a little bit in a way around yeah. it kind of feels yeah, like yeah. it's uh i don't know it takes away a bit from the training you can't quite go at your own limit yeah um, yeah you're always either being pushed too hard in which case you hate it or you're not being pushed hard <laughs> enough because you're waiting for somebody else so i always tend to go out myself and i, I actually always appreciate the so I listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously. <laughs> and uh, so I listen to, I, I appreciate like half an hour or an hour to go out and just listen to some stuff and enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. And get the training in too. So, but then again, in races, I have really enjoyed races where I've done it with people. Uh, like there was one, we did the uh, the Ben Nevis um, mountain uh, triathlon. What did they call it again? The big Ben Nevis challenge, I think they called it. It was by yeah. No Fuss. And it was a, an off-road triathlon. So it was it was about um, sort of half Ironman times. So it took like the sort of best people, maybe five, six hours to complete. Uh, right. So it was a big one. And um, it was, yeah, that was good fun because I went around that with a few friends, my, bro- my brother and uh, a good pal of mine. So that, you know, there's a bit of camaraderie when you're not trying to compete, certainly for me, yeah. it was just about completing it. So there was like motivating each other and pushing each other on. So yeah, yeah it, exactly. It seems to depend on the context for me, but. It does. Yeah, I'm the same. I, I always train on my own, you know, basically 100% of the time. Really? If, if there's like a friend in town, you know, that I, that I know, um, is on a similar level then i'll i'll ever you know once one hundred times kind of go out with someone else but i'm exactly the same i prefer to just have sort of uh goals that i've sort of set and then 
you don't have uh, other people kind of dictating what's going to be done and the, the pace and that kind of thing. So I, I yeah. always train on my own. And then, like you said, it's uh, when it comes to racing, sometimes having a bit of camaraderie and, and some banter and stuff and uh, shared experiences is good. And I think if you ride on your own all the time, sometimes you uh, appreciate those little times where you do ride with someone else, you know, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Aye, it's yeah. There's definitely motivation. I, th- I know that my my wife goes out more often when she has them organised. Like, it's less mm. likely to kind of um, not do it, I suppose. And yeah, yeah, I have to admit, there's times when I'm trying to train myself and I don't do it because of that. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe both ways <laughs> yeah. sometimes. But yeah, yeah, okay, definitely. Cool. Now it's good to get an update though. That sounds like an interesting race. Um, so uh, I think uh, I'll probably spend enough time on it just now on your update and stuff. But I'd be, be good to speak in the next episode about your plans for the next uh, the next couple of months because this is always we must be coming into the race season now, are we? We are. Yeah, yeah. I actually um, I actually just missed the first round of the national series just because oh, okay. of this illness. Trying not bug. to dig myself into yeah, just try not to dig myself too much into uh, into a bigger hole. Yeah. So yeah. try to be a bit sensible there. But uh, yeah, the Aye. second round second round's coming up, and we're definitely into the start of the race season. Yeah, perfect. Okay, cool. Well, we'll catch up on that next episode. Then uh, I'll ask you what the plans are, what's coming up, and um, stuff. And uh, actually maybe get an idea as well on, I've been curious as well to ask you about how easy it is to, to get into this as a professional, like to become a professional mm-hmm. racer, um, what sort of it takes, how you define it as well. Like, cause there must be a lot yeah. of people out there like do these series, um, but they have a proper job as well. A proper, sorry, Absolutely, yeah. that was insulting. <laughs> proper job. Uh, but they have <laughs> no, no. a, they have a, you know, a more traditional job at the same exactly, time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'd be good to get your thoughts on that so let's cover it let's uh, do that on the next episode um sure. this time around i've got a bit of feedback from somebody remember we talked about single speed racing we did uh, yeah. a while back and um i asked if anybody had any feedback on it because we uh we didn't really have that much experience with it we gave a few thoughts on it but there was mm-hmm. a lady called nancy kim wrote in and nancy um does a lot of racing herself i think she writes a fair bit for uh, another site uh, called oh no let me look it up what was it called again uh i can't remember anyway i'll get that before we finish this up and i'll, I'll give it a mention but nancy wrote in with an audio clip which i'll play for you just now i have a single speed but not for any of the reasons mentioned by Colin or Tom, I don't ride a single speed to prove to the world that I can conquer hills without gears because I can't. Uh, I, I actually need gears. I have a single speed, but it's one of four in my quiver of bikes. It's a Norco 125 dirt jumper, and it has a two to one ish gear ratio. And I ride it at a popular trail center near Seattle called Doothy Hill, where I go mainly to ride the flowy jump trails. So there's not a lot of pedaling involved. Um, I don't have to worry about breaking a derailleur or changing a cassette, which are both pretty expensive propositions on my other bike. I mean, a SRAM GX rear mech is 100 bucks, and the cassette's another C-note. Uh, for many places I ride, I love my gears, particularly the 42-tooth cog for steep climbs. Um, again, it's not the only bike that I have, and if I were limited to a one bike on a desert island, it wouldn't be a single speed. 
However, for those of us who believe in quivers, and there's really no such thing as a quiver killer, the single speed is actually a pretty fun and practical arrow to have. Cool. Thanks very much for that, Nancy. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, so Tom, she uses it actually for a really practical reason, which is simplicity when you don't actually yeah. need to pedal uphill. That's interesting. It is, yeah. And it's funny that we've been talking about, you know, making bikes simpler with the, the one-by system and yeah, yeah. getting rid of the front derailleur and essentially getting rid of anything that could uh, that's that's got the, the potential to have, you know, an issue out on the trail that might be unfixable or expensive to fix. So, I hadn't actually thought about that, and yeah. uh, it makes a lot of sense now that Nancy's actually brought it to light. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it's just neither of us really do that type of riding, is it? So it never really popped up. But there must be, there'll be downhillers out there going, what the hell are you talking about, you idiots? Of course you do that, because yeah. <laughs> we don't need to pedal uphill. Uh, you just got to lift exactly. uphill, and then all you need is one gear, really, which is the gear, you know, the standard gear you would use for accelerating while you're going at high speed mm. already, so... Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Cool. So yeah, anyone out there, if you were listening to that topic, I <clears throat> uh, hope that gave you uh, a bit of help. Uh, that's where you would maybe use a single speed in a really practical sense. And uh, thanks again, Nancy. That's really good. Uh, if anyone else has any audio comments, I'd love to get more of these. They're brilliant to put in the show, get some new voices in the show. So if you have anything you want to send in, could be a question for Tom or me. It could be a comment based on something we've said already. Could even be a little feature. If you want to send in, say... A, a, a short review of a bit of kit that you're using or a trail that you go around or maybe a tip of your own maybe something that you've picked up in terms of skills or equipment or maintenance or anything at all about mountain biking send me in a clip uh, try and keep it short as possible so if you can keep questions and comments under maybe a couple of minutes if it's a review or something you can go a wee bit longer but still sort of about a five minute limit or so um, and send that in I'd love to feature them on the show happy to put you in give you a wee credit um, and even if you if you write for another mountain biking site, that's what I was going to do. Let me check what Nancy wrote for, because uh, I want to make sure that I give people credit, give you you know something back at least. Um, so if you are out there, you're interested in mountain biking, Nancy writes for yeah. So her, the article she sent me was for mtbparks.com. So if you go to mtbparks.com, you'll see a lot of Nancy's writing out there. Cool. So yeah, be great if you could send that in. You can obviously send them in to Colin at mountainbikesapart.com. An easiest way to do it, pull out your smartphone. You can get your smartphone, voice recorder app, hold it up to you to you as if you're making a phone call and just speak into the phone that way. And it actually makes a pretty decent recording. Alrighty. Right. So actually that leads quite well into the listener question here, Tom, because the question is about that very thing. It's about simplifying your bike. Mm-hmm. And that leads on from us talking about the uh, the one by eleven, three by nine, all that kind of gearing systems. So this is yeah. from uh, Daniel West, and I'll just uh, read out his question here. So this is what Daniel said. I just wanted to write in and say how much I love your podcast. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, I'm 15 and race mountain bikes and you guys have some great tips and pointers. Just wanted to say how great your show is and ask you some questions as well. So I was wondering if it's possible to upgrade my bike's drivetrain without having to buy a completely new setup. I currently have a 3x9 Shimano Dior system and I've really been wanting a 1x11 for weight reasons and simplicity, but the cost of a whole new drivetrain is a bit much. I've heard it's possible to buy separate gears and add them to your rear cassette, along with a new front chain ring. If you know anything about this, help would be appreciated. Thanks and keep up the good work. 
Cheers, uh, Daniel. That's a really good question. And uh, certainly not something I've done a whole lot with. I know that you can sort of edit your gears, if that's the right term. You can take things off, put them on. But uh, Tom, what are your thoughts? You you done any work around this? Yeah, I'm just trying to, I mean, I've, I've been on a, you know, one by kind of 11 system for a long time. I'm just trying to think back to when I was in a similar position to Daniel and, um, you know, uh, editing, editing a sort of... Uh, more regular traditional setup i think i I mean the problems i ran into is that um as sort of daniel alludes to is that one thing kind of rolls into the next so Mm. you know you get you get a different chain ring and sometimes they will or won't fit on the crank that Mm. you've got if you manage to do that then you you sometimes need to um change the chain because the chain's wider than it needs to be um And if you can, if if you get away with that, you get away with keeping the chain. The the cassette at the back sometimes when you've got a one by system, uh, a nine speed at the back isn't going to be enough spread of gears. So yeah, yeah. sometimes it's then about going to uh, a ten speed or an eleven speed, which then affects <laughs> the chain and the derailleur. And yeah. they've done quite a good job of uh, you know systems <laughs> integration and making it hard, <laughs> make, making it difficult, making it expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so the, do you, sorry, I just gonna, gonna, go yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, you finish. Finish first. I was it. just going to say it, it depends, obviously, on the on the terrain that that Daniel or someone or whoever's riding. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's if you're in a sort of fairly flat area and you don't need a massive spread of gears at the back, mm-hmm. you might be able to just keep your existing existing cassette and existing um, derailleur and then just put, put a single ring on the front, you know, a, mm-hmm. self, a, a chain retaining ring on the front and mm-hmm. maybe that would uh, would be enough to get away with it. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask actually. A couple of things there. The First of all, chain width, you, you have to change your chain width. So it's a different chain once you move up from, is it from 9 to 10 or 10 to 11? Do you I remember? Think some, uh, yeah, sometimes... Sometimes a nine-speed chain will work with um, ten-speed potentially. Yeah. That's what I thought. So nine and ten are the same, is that right? But then if you go to eleven, that's a narrower one, isn't it? They they changed think, it. Yeah, I think yeah. I think they're all that. I think you can get ded- You can obviously get dedicated ten-speed chains that are chains that are narrower. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you could run an eleven-speed chain on a nine-speed because oh, well, that makes of, sense. Yeah, yeah, because it's narrower. Yeah, yeah but yeah. The, go, uh, sometimes sometimes the chain is just going to be too thick with yeah. the reduced space between the cogs yeah certainly from a nine to an so if you're running a nine just now it's likely you've got a quite a wide chain or the standard size chain i should say and that would yeah. work very well in 11 will it so okay so that was the first thing next one was the chain jumping wasn't it because the first thing that occurs to me is that i know that you can remove rings from a the front from the crank so you've got your three chain rings in the front Mm. you can it's not that hard actually to take a couple of chain rings off because it's just a couple of retaining bolts isn't it exactly so you you could try it out couldn't you by just putting a a single ring in the front and just having your front derailleur almost you take it off you can set the the limits well actually i was going to either take it off or keep it on but set the limiters so that it keeps Mm. the chain in the right place so it actually acts as a chain retention device yeah so your front yeah. re- re- uh, derailleur could do that. The reason to do that, I would have said, is that you, the front chain rings are designed when you've got three to actually throw the chain off, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, in, in a way, yeah. anyway, um, because that's what lets you change your gears. So actually, it's not perfect if you've only got one in the front to keep an old school like. Uh, part of three chain ring because the new single chain rings in the front are designed to really keep the chain on, aren't they? 
They are, exactly, yeah. yeah. So they, they prevent chain jumping. So yeah, it is possible, Daniel. Certainly you could try it out. It's something that you could, like if you want to just test out, see if it's really worth it for you, you could take off a couple of the front chain rings, like I say, use a derailleur as a, a retention device. Um you can add, Can you, do you think you can add an extra ring or two to a derailleur? I wouldn't have thought you can do that, to be honest. I've never to seen anyone do that. To the rear the, cassette. Sorry, that's what I meant, the rear cassette, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for, I, I, I seem to remember seeing that you could get a um, sort of the largest cog at the back and, uh-huh. as, a, as a single and add really? that, but... Um, yeah, I would imagine there's some compatibility issues when it only works with certain cassettes and um, yeah. and that kind of thing. And one other thing as well, Colin, that kind of yeah. popped into my head is the um, the fact that generally speaking, when you've got a one by system, you'll mm-hmm. you'll need some sort of clutch um, clutch system on the rear derailleur, okay. which uh, tightens the the sort of cage spring. Uh-huh. So when you're riding along with a regular rear mech, your cage, the, the, the bit that kind of hangs down that holds the jockey wheels is yeah. moving fore and aft quite a lot. Yeah. And with the, the dedicated kind of one by um, rear derailleurs from Shimano and SRAM, yeah. um, they've, got a, they've got a sort of switch on there that really stops that cage moving around because... Yeah. With, when the cage moves forward, it obviously gives a lot of slack to the chain, which then can bring it off yeah. the ring at the front. So right. I have heard of people using the rear derailleur, you know, a regular rear derailleur without a clutch system mm-hmm. and it being okay. But from personal experience, I've always found that if I've forgotten to switch the clutch on, the chain will kind of uh, has definitely yeah. more of a tendency to come off, even though yeah. it's a sort of retaining ring on the front. And yeah. So yeah. There's a, it's a, I can see why so many people, you know, have questions about this sort of yeah. switch because it's, it, there's quite a lot of components to it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I hadn't even thought, it hadn't even occurred to me yet that you need a new shifter. So Daniel, you'll need obviously a, an 11 speed shifter or a 10 speed shifter or whatever on the front. Um, if you're adding an extra one or two cogs to your to your uh, cassette so actually there's a cost there too and the thing that occurs to me is that i so i bought my upgrade kit as a package and uh, so i got everything i got the shift of the cassette the cranks all that stuff and i looked into it separately i looked into upgrading bits at a time because one thing you can think about is actually upgrading it part at a time as it wears out because you should I mean you if you're doing a lot of riding you'll be replacing your cassette every year or so anyway uh, you'll be replacing your cranks every every year or so too uh, yeah. so you're going to be upgrading this stuff over time anyway so that's an opportunity you would have to be spending that money in any case so you can upgrade it to 11 speed bit by bit but I looked at that and I discovered that you buy it as a package and if you if you're not in a rush you keep an eye on the main four or five bike shops, you'll find an 11 speed package at like a 50% discount at some point. Yeah. Like the, the package, the bundle itself already gives you a discount on buying it all separately. So you'll, the full price bundle is like maybe 10, 20% off the full price of all the things separately. But I got mine, I think it was almost 50% off. So it was way cheaper than buying. I, th- I think I ended up getting my whole kit for, I think it was just, 270 280 i believe for the whole thing and the rrp for it was something like 600 um, yeah. and if i bought it all separately it would have been about that cost as well so um if you're going to end up buying these extra cogs you're going to end up buying an extra shifter that's going to be probably over 100 pounds anyway um with a new chain and stuff like that as well so it might well be worth not doing the bodge daniel because you're going to end up with something that is just a bit 
uh, not great. <laughs> it's going to be jumping around. It's going to be loose. It's going to it's going to have problems. It's going to annoy you out in the trail. Maybe best to actually just do a bit of saving. Um, over the next six months, uh, save up enough and just ha- keep an eye out for those uh, discounts. Good tip. Okay. Any th- any final feedback on that, Tom? Anything I just said or? No, I think that's a great. That's a great right. tip, actually. And I've uh, I've definitely seen as I've been sort of noodling around on bike bike shop websites that yeah. that group sets, you know, full group sets like you were talking about, Colin. They're just they they probably I, I imagine they probably don't sell in high volume. So you do yeah. see you see them all the time. You see these huge discounts. Yeah, and yeah. And, um, yeah. So when you start realizing how much money they are actually uh, making <laughs> on the individual components, indeed. As well. Yeah, especially if you're looking at last season. So now there has been a season or two of you know eleven speed being quite common. So actually, there's a lot of older season stuff now coming up, and that's what the bike shops sell off cheap as chips. So look out yeah. for an old an old kit from last year. Yeah, a 10 speed or something like that. Uh, or even an 11 speed from like yeah. 2016 or something. Um, they'll be coming up cheap now, I bet. So yeah, keep an eye out. Okay, cool. I hope that helped anyway, Daniel. Um, so thanks for sending the question. Again, anyone, if you have a question, send it into colin at mountainbikesapart.com by email or uh, on the contact form on the website. If you go to mountainbikesapart.com, you'll find a contact form there or tweet it if it's a short one. Just send it to at uh, the podcast host is my uh, is my handle. And you are Tom. Uh, it's on Twitter. Yes, indeed. Uh, that's by Tom Bell. So B Y T O M B E W L. By Tom Bell. Cool. Ask us either either of us a question on Twitter, and we'll put that into. We'll answer you on Twitter, but we'll also put it into uh, a future show as well. All right. I think that'll do it for this episode. That was episode six of season three of the Mountain Bikes Apart podcast. Thanks again for joining me, Tom. Yeah, thanks, Colin. It's good to uh, good to have a catch up. Yeah, and it's, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing more about your uh, your upcoming month, actually, and a bit about how you kind of transitioned into being a pro as well. I think that'll be interesting. Indeed. Yeah, cool. <laughs> cool. If you're out there, you want to learn more about this, uh, anything we've mentioned on the show, a summary of the show and everything, uh, you can go to the show notes, which you can find at mountainbikesapart.com forward slash 306. So that's season three. 06 for the episode 306 mountainbikespart.com forward slash 306 cool thanks again for joining me always appreciate your time I know it's precious so uh, hopefully see you next time around have a good week and we'll talk to you then see you soon